Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Music for a Book podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Britt. And I'm Hannah. And every two weeks, we read and review a book, assign a song to that book, draw the parallels between the two, and have some fun along the way. So welcome back to episode two of season two. Lucky number two, not only our season two, episode two, but in the second month of the year as well. Exactly. So this week we did a complete 180 from our first book of the season and we decided to read the paranormal thriller horror the september house by carissa orlando yeah we're giving spooky houses another chance we're really we really just needed a good spooky house story real honestly truly (laughs) (laughs) Mm mm-hmm If you are new here, how this episode is going to work is we will give a brief synopsis as well as trigger warnings for the book. We will reveal our song choices for the book, which is always fun. And then from there, we will enter what we like to call spoiler territory, where we talk about anything and everything that happened cover to cover in this book. So if you have not read the book yet and you do not want it spoiled for you, that would be your time to pause the podcast and come back after you have read it. Yep, because we will be jumping around because... There was a few foreshadowing parts that got to bring up like right away. A hundred percent. And this book was really a journey. It was definitely, Hannah said it as we were getting ready, more of like a visual experience. So the way that we talk about this is probably going to be vastly different than some of our other stories that we've done. Totally. Yeah, it's, I feel like it was very paranormal to start and then psychological and then back to paranormal. A hundred percent. So it was a lot of fun to read. Reader. All right, so trigger warnings for the September House by Carissa Orlando are going to be domestic abuse, gore, murder, alcoholism, vomit, mental illness, minor suicide, some trauma. Yeah, it's just it's creepy as shit. Yeah freaky scary children yeah if like graphic details of gore really upset you this is not the book for you move on and come back for the next episode yes so the september house when margaret and her husband hal bought the large victorian house on hawthorne street for sale at a surprisingly reasonable rate they couldn't believe they finally had a home of their own then they discovered the hauntings Every September, the walls drip blood. The ghosts of former inhabitants appear, and all of them are terrified of something that lurks in the basement. Most people would flee. Margaret is not most people. After four years, Margaret has learned how to live with the house. It's her house, after all. But Hal can't take it anymore, and he leaves abruptly. Now he's not returning calls, and their daughter, Catherine, who knows nothing about the hauntings, arrives, intent on looking for her missing father. To make things worse, September has just begun, and with every attempt Margaret and Catherine make to find Hal, the hauntings grow more harrowing because there are some secrets the house needs to keep. All right. We ready to reveal our song choices? Let's reveal our song choices. I'm not going to lie. I took about four business days to figure out what song I was choosing, and I ended up listening to like my Throwback Thursday playlist and I got really hooked on Divorce Dad Rock again for like a few days. So we're going back to that kind of vibe. So the song that I have chosen, very outside of Taylor Swift, is Unwell by Matchbox 20. Love that song. I know I feel like I say that about a lot of songs, but we do pick pretty good songs. That is a classic. But that one's a good one. Mm-hmm. So excited to talk about that more in depth but it just came out in the car and I was like this is it this is the song (laughs) yeah I had a couple I was going back and forth with but one Taylor Swift song that I just kept going back to since the beginning so I picked Ivy by Taylor Swift Ooh, that was not even close to my radar so I'm excited to hear because I love Ivy I feel like you can't go wrong with any song off of Evermore but that's just me right (laughs) so We are entering the September house spoiler zone. So beware. Back out now. You don't want to know 
because we're going in for all the details. We're leaving it no crumb unturned, no bone unburied. No bloody wall. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) No eyeball out of its socket. (laughs) No hatchet to the forehead. (laughs) So yeah, we'll jump into this book, but my thought for this book was American Horror Story season one. Hundred. Like that house. Percent. That house just, that's what I pictured. That's just my like, my mind that the house was in the middle of nowhere. So that's not, I'm just going to preface it. It was murder house personified. Yes. Yes. Like Ryan Murphy, get on this book, direct a limited series on Hulu and FX for us. Mm -hmm. Because this could make a killing. It's like murder house part two. Bring it back around. Like murder, middle of nowhere murder house. Yes. Like, as your first spoiler right there, people. <laughs> At the September house is a murder house. Literally. It's, it's, God, it's a murder house. But the one thing that I actually really liked so, our main character and our narrator for the whole book is Margaret. This is the first book that we've read that I feel like we've had like a more mature female main character. For the most part, I feel like all of the books that we've read have been anywhere from like young adults to like their 30s like in the only one left we had the letters from lenora and she was in her 70s or from virginia rather but Mm -hmm. it was this was the first one that i feel like we had just like an older woman living her life and i feel like that gave a very different perspective throughout the book yeah no i agree i just i feel like we've read a lot of unreliable narrators Mm -hmm. and even though she's not the most reliable narrator But she does feel a lot more mature than what we've read before. Yeah. A couple of things to note about the September house. I feel like we should just introduce some of our ghostly friends and some of the happenings that go around so we can just kind of freely talk about it. So we have Margaret, who is our female main character and narrator. We have her daughter, Catherine, her 30-year-old daughter who comes to visit. And then her husband, Hal, who is an alcoholic. So then we have Edie, who is... The neighbor that comes over and sits on the porch with Margaret while the house is kind of taking on a life of its own. So the house is always haunted. Let's get one thing straight. The house is always haunted. However, in September, it becomes nearly unbearable. So starting from September 1st all the way to September 30th, it like the activity ramps up more and more so the blood dripping from the walls starts out kind of slow and then by the end it's like cascading down the steps into the living room and we have ghosts like frederica who is a housekeeper whose face is obliterated i think she said it was like a volcanic like slash basically through her face like half of it was just missing Mm -hmm. and the way that margaret talks about these characters is so fucking funny to me because it is the most nonchalant tone and the most nonchalant thing and i'm sitting here like i would die if i saw that in real life yeah she's not phased by any of this no and she doesn't even like call like they're obviously ghost spirits she calls them just pranksters like, just like they're just annoying little people around her house. Like, yeah, she's just so nonchalant about the whole thing. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Blood's going to be dripping down the wall. Casual. Like, yeah, my, my housekeeper just is missing a face. Oh, Elias. Little <laughs> buddy Elias. Um, is this kid prankster that has fangs that, like, Margaret can't really relate to. And if she, like, reaches through him, he'll, like, bite her. And she has all these scars on her from him. Yeah. And I'm just like girl i know what and then, like frederica will move items around the house like her s- entire silverware set will just end up in like the bathtub and she's like ah, ha, ha, ha. oh frederica silly girl silly you and there's this little girl named angelica who points down to the basement which they have boarded up at all times because mm-hmm. there's someone down there that they do not want to interact with and we sure will get to him yeah and there's like a girl that crawls out of the fireplace that they learned about when they tried to light the fireplace and she came 
running down with embers on her, um, screaming. Oh yeah, the house screams too, you guys. So every night the house literally just start. there's just screams and they start slow. But then by the end of the month, it's like from midnight until like 8 a.m. The house is just like screeching full blast, which again, not I'm not making excuses for Hal, but I'm just saying that I don't blame him for drinking in this house. Yep. And so chapter one, right? There's that nice little prologue that kind of just goes over basically what we were just talking about. The hauntings, the pranksters. Mm-hmm. But in chapter one, we find out that Hal has basically disappeared. Yes. That Margaret says, you know, Hal went to wherever he went. So, you know, we find out that it's really Margaret in this house. And she's just kind of okay with it, you know? <laughs> I think she's found her place that she feels comfortable with. And even with Hal not there, she just goes about life. Yeah, and her day-to-day is literally just moving around these pranksters, these spirits. And something else that she experiences, too, like... Elias bites her and things like that. And she like will occasionally dig up his mother's bones from the backyard and give them to him as like a peace offering. This is this sounds crazy as I'm saying it out loud. And (laughs) so another thing with like the house too and these spirits is that if you pass through the spirits in any way. So if you like touch them for a prolonged period of time or pass through them, you then experience like the feelings that they had when they died. So a lot of these spirits, pranksters, have faced very gruesome murders, endings. Yes. She'll like pass through a spirit and then just very casually feel someone stabbing her or like gutting her. I cannot emphasize enough how nonchalant this is all spoken about in this book Mm -hmm. that's why i think like it i'm somebody that does get easily like scared and freaked out Mm -hmm. but i feel like this didn't freak me out as much as i thought it would because margaret was so just matter of fact yes like it wasn't like i was scared to turn the corner because elias was there Oh, Elias was standing in front of the microwave, so I got to reach through him. Mm-hmm. Like, which I thought was kind of cool for like a horror book, like because it still was horror filled for sure. But yes, just the way it was written just felt so like lackadaisical horror, which was kind of cool. I know, I really enjoyed it. Oh, something else that happens at the house. I just more things keep coming to me. There are suicide birds. They just birds at all hours of the day during the month of September ram themselves into the windows on purpose. And there's just blood and feathers everywhere. And Margaret goes out to just clean them up. Yeah. So Margaret's in the house by herself with Mm -hmm. all of this shit going on. (laughs) And she keeps kind of like avoiding Catherine's calls. Like Catherine started living with her Margaret's sister Mm -hmm. from like a younger age. And so like Margaret and Catherine aren't super close um, right now. So Catherine's, you know, an adult. She's 30, but keeps calling Margaret and is like, I haven't heard from dad. Like, where is he? I'm coming there. And so Catherine just kind of forces herself into the September house. And Margaret's like really worried because Catherine has no idea like what actually goes on in the September house. No. No idea. No. And she like begs the pranksters to not to, like, be on their best behavior around Catherine. So before Catherine arrives, though, Margaret calls up good old faithful Father Cyrus, uh-huh. who is this little old man, this little old priest from the um, neighborhood Catholic church who has performed exorcisms for them before um, since they bought the house. It's like Margaret's like last attempt to try to calm down the house. She says like in the past the exorcisms haven't like cured everything, but they have calmed down the mm-hmm. pranksters for a little bit. So she thought it was at least worth a try. So Father Cyrus arrives, you know, does a little thing around the house and decides to open the basement. 
Yes, they need to unboard the basement so Catherine doesn't ask questions when she's there. Yep. So we said that the door was boarded up. On the back of the door are Bible pages <laughs> just like stapled on there <laughs> to try and ward off whatever is down in the basement, whatever spirits are down there. So when they go to, you know, exercise whatever is in the basement, Father Cyrus all of a sudden just like, right? Doesn't he just like release all these flies from his mouth and just oh, like yeah. Yeah. they're like a plague almost just like all these flies come out of yes. the basement himself everything like which has never happened that that has never happened no and so she was like well that's new <laughs> so father cyrus rushes out of the house and tells his driver to yep. like step on it and just leaves after that fiasco Father Cyrus is also the only priest in the area that believes in the paranormal and believes in exorcisms. And everyone else thinks that they are Looney Tunes and that they don't need an exorcism. They need mental health help. And he is the only person that has ever helped them anytime they step foot into a church or anything like that. Catherine arrives to the September house and we get a quick dose of the kind of person that Catherine is. She is very loud, very abrasive, very over the top. And she just, she swears like every other sentence. She kind of gets huffy with her mom. She's very melodramatic, I think is the best way to describe her. But Something that I thought about, like, as the book went on and my annoyance for her just finally started to taper off a little bit was I feel like she is just the embodiment of who she was as a teenage girl. And she never really grew up or grew out of that. Yeah. And I think especially like being back with her mom, too, huh? probably reverting who she was the last time that they were together, too. Yeah. So I pictured Margaret like... She was so nonchalant about everything. I pictured her almost having like, how do I want to say this without being gruesome? It's going to be gruesome. I pictured her looking like homegirl just had a lobotomy and was living large in her lobotomy face. Like she was just like, whatever do you mean? Like, Catherine, whatever are you speaking of? Like, I think she was so disassociated from the situation at hand that she almost became a shell of who she was, which was an interesting parallel to her abusive relationship with Hal, mm -hmm. the more that I thought about it. Yeah. Interesting point. Mm -hmm. Like, I, we've had a long time to kind of sit on this book before we re-recorded, so we've had instances where, like, we read a book and then record immediately after, but this one I've just had some time to kind of think about. I feel like that kind of gave me some perspective, like, we get a little bit of like how her and Hal met at the beginning and it's not until toward the end that we start to see the cracks in like what their relationship was. I don't know. I just feel like her so nonchalantly handling like a woman whose eyeball is like falling out of her head or a little boy who like has fangs and bites her and then disappears is that she had spent so long like disassociating in her relationship with Hal Mm -hmm. that she was able to like this was almost just like the house was a reflection of the abuse that she endured in her marriage um i think that's a really good point that you brought up though about like margaret disassociating with like the abuse and then that's why this house isn't as much of like a, a shock to her mm -hmm. i think that's a really really valid point and I think we'll see it more like as we talk through the book, like and they kind of talk about the abuse that Hal had, like she very much minimizes the traumatic instances in her life, mm -hmm. including being assaulted by a ghost. Um, also, Blythe is the spirit that mm -hmm. has her skin melted by flames with charcoal limbs dragging her along the floor that crawls out of the fireplace. She's struggling to figure out where to even place Catherine. In the September house because she said each room has its own, you know, unique properties. Mm -hmm. <laughs> she said the first bedroom 
was nice because it has a fireplace, but that's because Blythe was also in there. So Blythe will come down the fireplace with her skin melted off and drag ash on the floor. Blythe was chained up and burned alive in the room. So that's why she is a current inhabitant of that room. The next room is the man who killed Frederica lives there. And so they call him the Gritting Man. His name is Jasper. He was found dead in the closet because he killed Blythe, which is his wife. And he also killed Frederica. And they said that Jasper had taken his own life and died by suicide. But apparently he in the closet is bent at a large amount of very unnatural angles that feels like it's probably not suicide. Right. So that was a little, a fun little hint for what's to come. The last guest bedroom, like she said, was fine. However, there was sometimes like a gash that would appear in the wall and like black void substance would ooze out of the wall. And it was not blood, but it was definitely not normal. So she ended up putting her in the room with Jasper of all things (laughs) so i will suggest that you guys read this book if you're not scared of like gore and paranormal because there's so many Mm -hmm. just like little instances and like basically world building for this house that happened yes that i feel like i we're not going to do it justice by describing i know we've said that in the past too but there's just a magic about reading like reading these things that happen so definitely recommend that yeah and i just think so we've talked in the past about like when the house takes on like a life of its own and out of some books we may have asked for more and in this book i felt like this is what i needed out of a haunted house experience and i'm totally gonna spoil the ending here i was so freaking worried when the police showed up at the end, that it was going to be a mental health crisis and everything that we had experienced in the house wasn't going to be real. Um, Me too, because, you know, I think I like Shutter Island, right? Like he just has convinced himself, right? And then it like, yeah, you know, it's not real. I, w- I was worried about that too. I'm like, is it really all in her head? Like, has she just been imagining all this stuff? I was so, yes. I was about to like throw this book at the wall. So I was going to be like, I did not just read this book for it to not actually be paranormal i was i was livid because like Catherine. so we'll we're gonna jump back to but like we said we're <laughs> going all over the place with this book but when Catherine was like questioning her and she was like what day is it mom hey mom do you remember like you know what year it is do you remember what you had for breakfast like all of these things and then margaret could not answer these questions in the correct way And I was like, oh, no. This book is about to be ruined for me. Mm -hmm. I am happy to report, though, that the ghosts are very much real. Yes, very, very much real. So Catherine arrives, right? And Margaret's kind of, like, nervous. We said what room she's going to put her in. So Margaret goes and seeks advice from her friend, from Edie. Yeah. And Edie tells her, you could just, like, kind of drug her at night. Like, then she won't know. And Margaret's like, I'm not going to drug my daughter. And he's like, okay, just just a thought, you know. <laughs> no, they're just having, like, tea on the front porch, just kind of talking about it. Like, during the day, like, Catherine is, like, hell-bent on finding her father. Like, she, uh-huh. you know, is like, why haven't you gone to the cops? And then she, when she goes to the cops, you know, the cops are like, well, he's an adult. He left. Like, it's not really a missing person. She, like, checks the motels around town finds like the cab driver like Catherine like does not hold back when trying to find her father no it is interesting to me because like I feel like she doesn't even like her father but I get like you know she wants to find him but at the same time I'm like she's going through extreme lengths to try and find him and Hmm. like to Margaret right like from Margaret's thought and perspective like he left he probably doesn't want to be found Hmm. like he he left he decided to leave and that's on him yeah and like Catherine discovers a shitload of empty bottles in Hal's office that margaret was like he was drinking what do you mean 
I never saw him drinking. And then in like her inner thoughts, she was like, well, you know, he did pass out quite frequently on his desk for no reason in the middle of the day. And like, I think that just goes back to how like disconnected she was from reality. Mm -hmm. Another little side note, I really loved how LGBTQ themes were interwoven with no pretense. There was no... Like, Catherine had a girlfriend. Catherine went home with a female bartender when she was out looking for Hal. And it was never a question of, like, right or wrong, this or that. And I think we're going to start seeing that more in writing as we move forward. But it's just really refreshing. It reminded me of how, like, in Shit's Creek, like, there were just gay characters, but no one was concerned about it. Like, it was just they existed and that's who they were. And that's where, like, I think when we talked about Starling House, too, and how they made such a big deal out of that couple and I'm just like all right maybe it's to show like the small town but at the same time I'm like we're past that I like to think we're past I know like sometimes we aren't but like it's refreshing to read it now that it's just normalized yeah and like there are other ways of showing bigotry without being like bigoted toward like a, a group of people in that way unless it's like a specific way to drive the plot like where you have these side characters but like this yeah I just I just loved how seamlessly that was thrown in and she was like yeah Catherine how's your girlfriend and she's like oh we broke up and she's like oh no what happened mm -hmm. it was just it was a normal conversation that you would have about a relationship regardless of the genders of the people involved yeah there's a quote that I found it's a little paragraph that I wanted to read that I think will put things in perspective about how Margaret thinks and correct me if I'm wrong, Hannah, but I'm pretty sure we've heard this multiple times throughout this book. But Margaret says, these rules, they keep things in order. They make life bearable. You will find that everything, even the apparently unbearable things, can be bearable to some degree. It is all in how you handle them, the perspective you take, how quickly you can learn what to do, what not to do, and act accordingly. There are rules to these things. Everything is survivable, even this. And I feel like that is just Margaret in a nutshell. Mm -hmm. Oh, 100%. One of my favorite pranksters, though, is Angelica. Yes. Well, because from the beginning, she foreshadowed something that I knew was going to happen. And I kept yelling it at the book. <laughs> um, <laughs> so Master Vale is one of the pranksters. And he is down in the basement. So... That's what we kind of figure. He's down there. That's why it's boarded up. Like, nobody goes down there. Yep. But Angelica is a little girl, and she has been appearing and saying, he's down there. And Margaret just assumed she's talking about Master Vale. Like, yeah, he's down there. I'm not going down there. He's down there. And I was yelling at the book. So this is my spoiler. This is my foreshadow, people. I was yelling at the book. It's fucking Hal. Hal is yes. down there. But mm -hmm. I thought he was going to be a ghost. That, like, he was going to be, like, a master spirit down there? Yes. I thought that Hal had been the spirit all along. Like, like she lost him when they moved into the house or something and didn't realize. And he was, like, the one behind. I was a thousand percent on the same page as you when I was reading this. Yeah. But I kept just yelling, like, it's Hal. Hal is down there. Hal is down there. Mm -hmm. Every time she said that and Margaret was just like, yeah, Master Vale's down there. Like, yeah. You know, and I'm just like, no, it's fucking Hal. Master Vale was creepy as shit, though. Master Vale was terrifying. Yes. Like, Homie was this, like, I feel like almost Slender Man-ish, like, figure that basically was devoid of, like, hope, joy, light, literally yeah. anything good. That the moment you get around him, it's like immediate death to your soul and not just like your physical body, but everything that's good just poof goes away. Yeah. But because Angelica says that like early on. And she says it a lot. Mm -hmm. And so every time she said it, I'm just like, it's fucking hell. Hell's down there. That's where he is. Mm -hmm. Like even this is so funny. too. I was just flipping through and I landed on page 132 and it's literally like. Um, you know, I walked inside to find Angelica standing by the basement door, pointing as always. And then also the kitchen chairs were stacked on top of the table because Frederica was just moving shit around. But what's so funny, too, is that like when 
Margaret told these pranksters to not show themselves. They did not show themselves. So Catherine would like walk in on like the kettle being on when she thought it was her mom that forgot it on the stove. But really it was Frederica that put it on for her. Mm -hmm. But I do think that did set it up to where it definitely could have been like a mental illness situation. But Catherine does get a lead. I find... Uh, that Hal went to this motel. Some of his stuff is there. And Hal's also like a famous author. Mm-hmm. So the motel like knew that and was like, oh, we can keep his stuff, right? The famous Hal. We learned that like Hal doesn't drive. So that's where we also find like the cabbie that took him. Yep. And just everything like that, which is pretty interesting. Looking forward. I mean, we want to talk about our real life Nancy Drew. Let's talk about Catherine. Right. (laughs) Somewhere around the halfway point, we start to learn a little bit more about, like, the abuse that Margaret and Catherine endured from Hal. He was very controlling. Obviously, he had a problem with alcohol. But she even said it herself. Like, he didn't start putting hands on her right away because if he did, she would have never stayed. And I feel like that was a really raw depiction of what abuse is like, where... It starts so slowly and it happens over time to the point where you don't realize what the problem is until it's too late or until you're too far in. Mm -hmm. You know, she just said like Hal had an unpredictable temper and it was just like she said the first time that Hal put his hands on her was when Catherine like spilled juice on a sofa and she should have been the first person to stop her like she should have been ready and then it started to happen more and more again. So there were marks on her arms and she really tried to block Catherine out of everything. But like Hannah said earlier, that's when Catherine was taken to go live with her sister, Noelle, because it just got to the point where Hal was screaming, intoxicated all the time. And just because he put his hands on Margaret did not mean she was going to let Hal put his hands on Catherine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... Edie is like Margaret's best friend. Like Margaret confides in Edie all the time. So, you know, she already talked to her about um, like drugging Catherine and just to help her sleep at night. Right. And so Margaret's telling her, telling Edie like, yep, the screaming's about to start. And Edie's like, you look terrible (laughs) to Margaret. (laughs) Like, oh gosh. Yeah. Of course. When somebody tells you that, it's like, oh. Thanks, I guess. Like, like <laughs> cute. Yeah. Like, I feel terrible. Thank you. <laughs> right. But there are things to, like, Catherine physically forces Margaret to go try and find Hal with her, even though Margaret would rather do anything else. And then on top of that, when she's out, she gets, like, headaches in this, like, very, like, intense pull to be back at the house. Mm-hmm. And... But when she's out, she gets these, like, little clues. I don't know if I want to... What do I want to call them? I don't want to call them clues necessarily, but, like, these little things that remind her of the house. Like, there's a song that comes on. It's a little reminders, yeah. Yeah. Um, Like, one of the guy's names is Ted Vale, like, Master Vale. And there's, yeah, little reminders, like, the song on the jukebox, the writing on the wall, like, a stall in the bathroom, Ted Vale... It's all of these little things that remind her that she's supposed to be at the September house and not out in the world right now. Mm -hmm. So since the screaming is about to start, Margaret does decide to help Catherine sleep a little bit more. Sleep a little bit better. So she does drug her to make sure that she does not get woken up by the moaning, screaming, all the happenings of the overnight September house. There's also a smell in the house. And so Catherine does notice that. And Margaret's like, oh, just, you know, it's coming from the basement. Like, that's why we keep the door closed. Like, (laughs) just don't go down there. Yeah. And the flies never really went away that came out of Father Cyrus's mouth. And they're just chilling. Horrid. I do like, too, how this book, that how it just, like, does go back and forth with, like, back in time to go through, like, previous times in the house or when Catherine was little but it's not like a dual timeline or anything like that but it does have nice little flashbacks to like you know four years ago ten years ago 
just different things that kind of just make me think like as Margaret's thinking, like she's thinking about it more so than kind of like the yeah. dual timelines. Like it just kind of goes back like in her memory, like if she's reliving this, she's like, yes. so about the screaming. And then the next chapter would be like, well, four years ago about the screaming. So I did, mm -hmm. I did like how that the writing kind of flowed like that with her thought process. Yeah. It almost was like, like a coherent stream of consciousness. Mm -hmm. Like it wasn't just incoherent ramblings, but it was put together thoughts that felt like they were coming straight from someone's mind. Yeah. And like, I just flipped to another page, page 197, first line, there are rules to these things. Everything is survivable. I noticed like a pattern in, in some of like the phrases that Margaret would say. But I think that, again, like as I was reading it, I was like, oh, that like that feels like it's coming up a lot. I wonder if it's kind of important. But I think it was more so just to show the state that Margaret was in, which is this is how she copes with the things that are being presented to her, whether it's the abusive husband, the haunted house, the gallons of blood leaking from her walls, you know, anything like that. It's weird because sometimes we talk about books and the more that we talk about them, the more I realized I didn't like about them. But the more we talk about this book, the more I realized that I liked it. Yeah. I could see myself rereading this book in like a year or two. Yeah. There's so much in here that I feel like you could miss the first time. I don't know. And also we found out we were talking ahead of time. Like this is her debut novel. Mm -hmm. Imagine this being your debut. This is incredible for a debut author. Yeah. And so, too, we find out that Hal could see the pranksters, but it wasn't as, like, vivid. Like, it wasn't as real to him as it was to Margaret. So, mm -hmm. and Hal is kind of described as, like, like she says, it wasn't that Hal didn't believe me about the man by the basement stairs, but he believed me only in a vague sense. Like, someone might loosely believe in UFOs without ever seeing evidence. Yeah. And how Hal, like, didn't want to learn more. Like, he definitely felt the presence and could, like, you know, see some things. But it wasn't as dramatic as Margaret. And I think it just shows, mm -hmm. like, her connection to the house a lot. Yeah. More, you know? Like, we talked about when she was out of the house, like, all those reminders and just being in the house, too. Like, it was, you know, they definitely saw her. And Yeah. I feel like the house almost acted like this like protective coding to Margaret, where even though there were many atrocities that happened within the house, the people inside saw like the injustices she was facing, which is similar to what they went through, like their untimely deaths, the way that they were murdered, the way that they were abused and tortured. And I feel like they were doing everything in their power to like protect her in like a very strange sense of the word. Yeah. And like how they knew how to do it. Yes. And the house, like, consumed Margaret, too. Like, she wanted to learn about how everybody died, their family history, all that, too. And she looked through the library, went through, uh, like, newspaper clippings just to find all this information about the people that are now pranksters in the house. So even though Hal had, like, a, a very vague sense of the pranksters, there was one incident that made him, like, turn and it was their run-in with Master Vale where Hal decided he was going to fight him in the basement. Oh, Hal. <laughs> and Hal was like, fuck this man. We're going to reclaim our house. Now, here's the thing. From what I know of the paranormal, which is quite a bit because that is one of my fun little special interests that I have, I... I'm like, yeah, reclaim your house. However, this fucker is scary. I feel like we probably shouldn't do that. Yeah, they said that. I want to find, like, the description of Master Veil. Vale, because, I mean, like, some of these descriptions, again, they're so nonchalant. But then you think about it and you're like, that is horrifying. Mm -hmm. Horrifying. Um, I also don't like Master Veil vale because I don't like when people are mean to children. And yes, not only is he mean to children, he's like ruthless. He is disgusting. He is vile. It just mm -hmm. hurts my heart. Yeah, he like he did some fucked up shit to these kids. Some of the descriptions of Master Vale were like he was laughing when he had Angelica like tied down 
by the wrists on a table in the basement when they went to go face him. And he had red-rimmed eyes and he seemed to, like, be delightful that he could, like, come and attack them. They said that he had rotting teeth. Just a disgusting man. Yeah, really horrifying. Homeboy, it said he had a pale gray tongue. Just like they nightmare eyes. I, like Hannah said to you, I cannot do this justice enough. Like, th- if this was on my screen, I would be horrified by this band. But in the context of the book, it was like, I don't want to call it fun, but like, fun. <laughs> right? <laughs> I don't know. There's just something about the writing and like how it's it's talked about and how it's handled that makes it not as absolutely horrifying. Mm-hmm. So does Hal succeed when he fights Masterville? Well, they run the fuck away that time. They they run the fuck away that time. There is another time that he does seem to go after Masterville. Um, we may have hinted at it and spoiled it earlier, but. Apparently, when he was out and about and running away, going to a little motel, he came home and Margaret was not aware. And he went down to the basement and never came out of the basement. Yeah, it seems that he went to face Master Vale on his own to reclaim his house without Margaret's knowing. And Master Vale cracked him in in the way that it was described for, like, the police officers, too, which we'll touch on because we're almost, like, to the end of this situation. Because everything in the middle is, like, so important to their relationship development and so important to figuring out the why and the how mm-hmm. behind these characters and why what their motivations are, why they do things, how they ended up in the places that they are. But in terms of the action of the book. So the descriptions for like, I will never forget the vivid descriptions of what was happening. Basically, like every limb was like cracked and bent in like a very disgusting way. Very not natural. Yeah. Like it, they were twisted like a pretzel, but like the pretzel was every part of their body. Catherine is concerned about her mother, right? And now the police are involved because, you know, they believe that there was foul play involved with Hal. And then the police come into the house. They search the house. Mm -hmm. They find Hal's body in the basement. They were fucked up because of the body in the basement. And then they were like, okay, Margaret, we're just going to put you in handcuffs. Don't worry. Don't worry. We can definitely put you in a nice mental health facility that'll take care of you for the rest of your life. Everything will be fine. You can get out of this house. And uh, like I said earlier, this was the part in the book where I was like, if this is not a real haunting, I'm going to throw this book and I'm going to be so fucking mad. Yeah. Like now, like talking about it, I really liked it because it did get me questioning though, like, fuck. Margaret, yeah. Was she just making this up? Like, you know, I know she said to hide from Catherine, but wouldn't you imagine that you could still like see or feel some sort of presence? Yeah. And so that's where I was like, okay, maybe, maybe Margaret is crazy. And I was like going to be disappointed, but it did get me thinking like, maybe she was, maybe she's an unreliable narrator. Like, you know, I trusted Mm -hmm. her and just now. Yeah. But, um, what happened instead? The haunting of their life. <laughs> Literally. So before they have the haunting of their life, we find out that Father Cyrus has passed away. And so Margaret also finds out that Father Cyrus was kind of ostracized in like the priest world. That he, mm-hmm. his fellow know his fellow clergymen didn't believe in exorcisms right we already talked about that but that father cyrus had kind of lost his mind a little bit and so he wasn't really reliable he you know thought that there was paranormal but um it was all in his head 
And so that like also played into like me thinking that like Margaret was crazy <laughs> mm-hmm. because I'm like, okay, Father Cyrus was just kind of playing into the narrative. Like it wasn't really, yeah, you know, and once they found Hal's body in the basement too, like that explains the flies that, you know, Father Cyrus was like surrounded by and everything. So that just also kind of played into like, okay, yeah, she was making this up. Yep. She was making this up. And it wasn't a long time that we thought she was making it up, but it was enough to make me question my reality of what I had just read. And then came the haunting of their lives. And they had the haunting of their lives. So the haunting of their lives, they're standing there, they're accusing Margaret. And all of a sudden, (laughs) they hear these sounds. And immediately the, the officers are like, what are you doing? Make it stop. And Margaret's like, this is the house. And everyone, including Catherine, can now see what's happening. And so there's clicks and thuds. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the front door slams shut and keeps Officer Jones outside. And she's the only female officer. And she's pounding on the glass trying to get in. Then there was the moaning and the screaming. Guns are pointed at Margaret because they're like, um hello margaret hi can you what the fuck are you doing what in the haunted house of horrors is this (laughs) and then all of a sudden there was blood pouring down the stairs more blood than margaret said she had ever seen in her previous four years at september house everyone is panicking so there's five people in the house there's Catherine. there's margaret three other officers and then officer jones is outside yeah and officer jones though is not safe outside because no. the suicidal birds are back and you can just hear a thud 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 from the outside yep so she's not safe out there and angelica appears running through the house everyone just starts screaming because <laughs> what else do you do at that point right like yep you're convinced that this is not real, but all of a sudden there's blood oozing, there's birds coming from the outside, there's moaning, screaming, then this little girl disappears. Oh my god, and then Julian was like on the banister and jumped down, but all of his intestines are hanging out. Uh. Awful. Awful. And Catherine is like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> um, all right. of the officers are like, Margaret? Margaret, tell us what's going on. And Margaret's like, bitch, look around. There's blood everywhere. There's ghosts running around. Do you think I'm doing this? Yeah. And then Elias comes in the room. I just like how he's described, like, erupted into the room in a whirl, his mouth a spinning kaleidoscope of teeth, howling loudly enough to overpower the screaming. (laughs) Oh, my God. The descriptions in this book are crazy. Crazy. Oh, Blythe started to crawl down the banister as well. So her little ashy charcoal singed skin was just floating, just floating away in the wind during this too. So the screaming hadn't stopped. The birds were still coming and everyone was looking at Margaret like, um, what do we do? And then unfortunately, everything stops. And then Officer Price happened to him first, and it's just described as unpleasant. And so he just, like, starts, like, twisting inward, bending, and just, like, his bones cracking and just becomes mangled. Yep, they, she described it as, like, when a spider is sprayed with insecticide. So it, like, disgusting, where it, like, curls and cracks and very unnatural ways because of like the multiple limbs and shit no like this entire end sequence like nothing in this book really got to me until this part and then coop was next coop got the unfortunate short end of the stick and started um suffering as well arms started to snap cracking noises and like margaret just says like she couldn't help Mm -hmm. him like what it's not she wasn't controlling it you know and so the last officer like came at margaret gun pointing in her face and was you know like screaming at her i don't know how you're doing this but you need to stop it right now 
and Margaret like puts her hands up like I don't I don't know I surrender like I'm not huh? not doing anything you know yeah they have this like showdown where he's like I'm gonna count to three and he starts counting backwards and Catherine's like put the gun down like and by put the gun down I mean put the fucking gun down because Catherine is uh, a part-time sailor and we love her for it oh god and oh well I just read it again and I'm like <laughs> and she got sprayed with blood that his chest just snapped in half oh. and then it was silent again and the front door opened and Jones raced in with her gun drawn and her clothes had been tattered and scratches from um, the birds, you know, that were attacking everything outside. And I can't imagine being Jones, right? And just walking in and being like, what happened? And she was just assaulted by suicide birds yeah. during that whole ordeal on top of it. Jones is like taking in the sight and then just all of a sudden is like horrified, like eyes widen. She takes a step backwards and Master Vale was standing there. And like Margaret says that she's never seen him in the light of day, only in the shadows. And that even in like this light, he just looks so much paler, almost look transparent. Huh? And how he just like towered over Catherine. And so Master Vale puts his hand on Catherine and she like drops everything she's holding. And he like puts Catherine in like a bear trap. And just pulls, starts pulling her backwards, and she's like kicking and trying to struggle. And Master Vale's just like laughing. Then Catherine disappears into the basement. Oh, God. And so Margaret like says that she was no longer underwater once they took, once Master Vale took Catherine. Now, Officer Jones tried to stop her. Again, why at this point? Couldn't tell you. Right. She didn't have much time to talk though, because Officer Jones got ripped from the ground and like super glued by supernatural forces to the ceiling she said that she was pinned like a <laughs> butterfly to corkboard and then she ran after her daughter and so uh, margaret does run down to the basement kind of wrestles master rail away from Catherine, and in the middle of this she sees hal in the corner and hal's body you know is all angled twisted like a a dead spider chest cracked open and she just thinks like, oh, I never thought I'd see him again. But here he is. Just more of like Margaret's just nonchalant, like, yep, there's my dead husband. La-di-da-di-da, you know? And then Catherine screams, which like snaps Margaret back to reality and is like, all right, yep. We got Master Vale to deal, deal with. You know, Margaret's yelling at Catherine, like, run, like, get out of here. Yeah. So Catherine does run. Margaret remembers like Hal... Edie, Catherine, and finally herself, she's believing it, that no one deserves to live like this. Mm -hmm. So she kind of gets the courage, you know, to really stand up to Master Vale and shout back at him, no, and he just kind of growled at her, and she describes him as being like a starving lion, and she just um, repeats back, you know, there are rules to these things and consequences for breaking them, which is something that Britt you know, talked about how it was like a reoccurring statement throughout the book. And I was just kind of giving Margaret that that confidence to finally, like, yep, there's rules and there's consequences for breaking them. Yep. Something interesting, too, when, like, they're kind of wrestling in the midst, like, she gets glimpses of what Master Vale did to the children and people that he encountered. And, I mean, truly vile, but, like, Almost everyone in the house was there at the hands of Master Vale. Like, she saw how he bashed in Angelica's skull, how Charles and Constance had their intestines pulled out, and just so many of these things. And the there are just, like... <laughs> again, it's not funny, but the way that it's written is a little bit funny, where... You know, she forgets or doesn't have names for some of these pranksters or spirits at the beginning. So now, as she's, like, learning about them through, like, absorbing what Master Vale did, she's like, yeah, and sawed the legs off of James, in parentheses, his name was James, and chopped off Henry's arm, in parentheses, I was wrong, his name was Henry. Like, those little things that just made Margaret, Margaret. yeah. Yeah, there was just, oh, God, he's so gross. Like, he has these, like, open lesions all over his skin. It is disgusting. So gross. So Catherine does come back downstairs 
and starts beating Master Vale with this paddle. And there's this like back and forth, this whole fight. But at one point, no one had been okay enough to fight off Master Vale before or tell him no. But in this moment when Margaret did, when Catherine decided to, the rest of the spirits, the rest of the pranksters in the house had gathered together, starting with Frederica. And they decided collectively that no one deserves to live like this. And they were tired of his bullshit. Basically, they they back him up and out of the house. Like, the house is covered in blood and bodies and flies. And they back this fucker out because everyone is standing together now. And he's not as scary when everyone is standing up against him. And they push him outside in, like, a really horrible way. But, like, horrible good because we all hate Master Vale. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everyone was collectively screaming, get out together. And finally, so an axe appeared from Frederica, who, go Frederica, we love her. Margaret took the axe, swung it, and absolutely cracked Master Vale's skull in half on the lawn. Damn. I know. And finally, the nightmare has settled we find out that her neighbor Edie, well, she doesn't really have a neighbor for about, I don't know, a few few miles. So Edie, also a ghost, also a spirit. Mm-hmm. And she was the owner right before Margaret. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite parts at the end is when, so Jones comes out of the house. She was limping, but Jones did survive mm-hmm. out of all of the officers. She was the only one. And she comes up and she's like, so your house and like vaguely gestures like this back to the house is haunted <laughs> and i love how like margaret's just like a bit just a little just a little haunting we're getting toward the end jones goes to her cruiser to try and detail what the fuck just happened Catherine decides to stay a little extra longer with her mom while they get things kind of sorted out. Everything was... So, like, again, the nonchalant, like, Catherine goes, so, dad's dead. <laughs> and Margaret's like, I suppose he is. Like, <laughs> you know, they say that that was nowhere near the most shocking thing that they had experienced that day. Yeah, it's just, like, it comes full circle at the very end when Frederica is like, you know, would ma'am like me to prepare some tea for her before I rest? And she just said, tea sounds lovely. That was the story of The September House by Carissa Orlando. I thought it was great. I really enjoyed it. I did too. A very paranormal wild ride. And like, like I said, the more we talked about it, usually when we start like poking holes in books and stuff, then I'm like, oh, well, yeah, definitely missed that the first time. And maybe I didn't like this as much as I thought, but... That did not happen with this one for me. All right. We ready to talk about our songs? Let's talk about our songs. I'm not pull crazy. Up the lyrics I'm here. just a little unwell. I know right now you can't tell. Then <laughs> stay a while. Maybe then you'll see. Different side of me. It's good, right? Yeah, it's great. It's a good fit. <laughs> I picked this song for obvious reasons, but... Mostly, I just felt like Divorced Dad Rock was such a Margaret, like, line of music that I just had to. But, again, I picked Unwell by Matchbox 20. And the song starts out by saying, all day, staring at the ceiling, making friends with shadows on the wall. All night, hearing voices telling me that I should get some sleep because tomorrow might be good for something. And that just reminded me of all of the screaming and voices that Margaret heard all throughout the night through September. It says, hold on, feeling like I'm heading for a breakdown and I don't know why. Like, all throughout the book, Margaret just had this, like, impending sense of doom. And we didn't touch on it too much, but that's because, like, you just, you have to read the book to get the sense of dread. Because everything is so fucked up that you can't really, like, decipher it until you hear her inner thoughts about it. Again, like, the chorus, like Hannah beautifully sang for us, is, I'm not crazy, I'm just a little unwell right now. You can't tell, but stay a while, and maybe then you'll see a different side of me. Like, I know that I seem crazy, like, I'm talking 
the like the next verse i'm talking to myself in public dodging glances on the train i can hear them whisper and it makes me think there must be something wrong with me you know catherine catches margaret constantly talking to herself out loud or she thinks she's talking to herself but in reality she's talking to frederica angelica elias all of these pranksters you know they're thinking some somehow i've lost my mind <laughs> the like bridge part here is i've been talking in my sleep pretty soon they'll come to get me yeah they're taking me away that was the whole like Catherine questioning her mom's sanity and her grasp on reality and the cops showing up to literally take her away but yeah the whole song like i'm just a little unwell like i'm not crazy um, things are just a little a little off right now and I felt like that just encompassed the whole vibe of the September house was like I'm not crazy okay I'm just a little unwell I'm just a little impaired right now and I think the the line for me was but stay a while and maybe then you'll see a different side of me you know maybe maybe stay a while in the house maybe experience these things for yourself and then you'll see I'm not the one who's crazy here yeah no, that song didn't even cross my mind. But as soon as you said it, I'm like, yep, that fits so well. Um, and we love Divorced Dad Rock. We sure do. All right, you ready to hear about Ivy? I'm so excited to hear about Ivy. Well, Ivy is one of my like favorite songs because, you know, I love Evermore, right? Mm-hmm. But just... Like how the song starts out, like how's one to know I'd meet you where the spirit meets the bones in a faith forgotten land. It's just kind of th- reminding me of the house, right? It's just like, you know, where like the spirit meets the bones. It's like the spirit meets, you know, humans basically meets Margaret. And like, just mm-hmm. how are you to know before you enter the house, right? You know, the pre-chorus is like, and the old widow goes to the stone every day, but I don't, I just sit here and wait grieving for the living. And so it just made me think of, like, Margaret, you know, she doesn't go anywhere, right? She's not, like, being that old widow that kind of goes to, like, find Hal or kind of really cares about that. And she just, you know, sits in the house Mm -hmm. and grieving for the living, right? Because she's kind of surrounded by all the ghosts and the pranksters, and that's where she's living, basically, without... Then in the chorus, when it's like, stop you putting roots in my dreamland... I can't stop you putting roots in my dreamland. My house of stone, your ivory grows, and now I'm covered in you. Um, so that's kind of what stuck out to me when I was, like, reading the book. And, like, when I was trying to find a nice parallel. Because it just made me think of, like, Margaret thinking about the house, right? It's just, like, she can't stop the house from putting um, its roots in her, right? And just the ivy grows, and now she's covered in, yeah, you know, what the September house means and how, like, they're kind of protecting her and like they're all about her and so just that connection there kind of tied in for me a lot god i love that song the line too i don't actually think we talked about this that hal was like prepared to like burn the house down and like told margaret to like we need to get out of here like let's burn the house down we definitely skipped over that but we're just gonna talk about it now so yeah um that's also why he was killed because he was pouring gasoline on everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, but there's a line in the song that looks like he's going to burn the house to the ground. And I'm like, that's Hal. He's going to burn the house to the ground. Oh, my gosh. How could we forget that Hal was lighting shit on fire or trying to? <laughs> there was also, so, there's so much, though, that happens that, like, yeah, I'll let that one slide. <laughs> then, like, further on, it's like, I dare to sit and watch what will become and drink my husband's wine. And I know she doesn't drink, but just like talking about how, you know, Hal Hal did and how she just kind of let it be almost. Like she didn't drink the wine, but she just kind of let it happen. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, she just kind of watched and sat and watched what will become and just, yeah, like let it be. Yeah. The rest of the song, I feel like kind of just flows, but those are the highlights of what tied it to me. And, Mm -hmm. um, just kind of remind me like of Margaret and just how the ivy of the house kind of made her like feel almost important again after not yeah you know being important with Hal or with Catherine necessarily like kind of gave her that purpose again but it just kind of built the roots in her that she can't leave okay let's talk about book ratings yeah let's do it 
again, for those that are new, we have our own little rating system. We rate kind of based on vibes and some things that we like about one book we might not like about the other and vice versa. So we rate to the moon and to Saturn. So coming in, I was going to give this book four moons. However, upon reflection, I found that I liked it a heck of a lot more than I remembered. So I'm just going to go a solid 4.5 moons for the September house. I really feel like talking about it only solidified all of the details tying together, things that I might have missed the first time. And I just genuinely enjoyed that we finally had an actual haunted house paranormal story. I'm going to keep my reading the same, but mm -hmm. I think it's a solid reading. Yep. Um, I'm going for Saturns. Like I said, I would read this book again. Yep. Based on vibes and storytelling, I think combined, definitely worth the read. If you want yeah. a good horror, that like, I mean, like I said, I like horror, but I also am like a big scaredy cat too and like don't like horror, but I enjoyed this <laughs> book. So, but I also yeah. love American Horror Story. So if you love like Murder House, American Horror Story, read this book. Yes, absolutely. It's like revisiting the Murder House in like a different time like a different yeah. like a different family country. yeah yeah i love it a different era this is the september era <laughs> i love it so that was the september house by carissa orlando i'm so happy that we finally got a really good spooky book so our next book very excited about this one it was a book of the month pick as well as a reese's book club pick it is a psychological twisty thriller, and it is First Lie Wins by Ashley Elston. Can't wait to talk about that one. I'm excited. I feel like season two so far, we're starting out with like a good genre group, and we have some good picks later on in the season, too. Oh, I'm so excited. Very excited. Yeah, I feel like, like I said, in season one, I think that we kind of figured out what we want it to be, what genres we vibe with, what ones we absolutely do not vibe with. And yeah, so I'm really excited to dig into this book. Well, thanks guys for listening. Thanks so much. Be sure to follow us on social. So on TikTok, on Instagram, we have a newsletter, a Discord server, we also have a Patreon, so if you are interested in supporting us and also getting behind-the-scenes content, bonus content, finding out what books we'll be reading early, so you can kind of get a head start before the episode's released or in our books, in our books, in our books are announced, and our books are announced. Yeah, please rate and review the podcast on whatever platform you are listening on. Um, does mean a lot to us for that feedback. Um, we'd love to hear what you think. Um, good or bad we want to know all the details please reach out to us like Britt said follow us on any platform that you can and look out for more updates soon so we will see you all in two weeks where we read review and assign songs to first lie wins by ashley elston bye everyone bye <laughs>